Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? I had the opportunity to meet my next guest at the National Association for Adoptees and Parents in-person 2021 conference. I saw him in virtual spaces primarily with Adoption Network Cleveland up until that time. His name is Oliver Limbrugen, and I'm so glad he said yes to a conversation with me. He is a late discovery adoptee born in California who now lives in Troy, Ohio, just north of Dayton. Oliver considers himself a simple man with a complexicated identity. In this episode, he will share part of his journey of not knowing his original identity until after taking a DNA test, at which time he learned he is 100% Filipino, raised by Dutch and Indonesian parents. Throughout the past three years, he has been digging deeper into his genetic history with the help of the adoption community. And like many of us, he is seeking wholeness. Allow me to introduce you to Oliver, a most compassionate human being who happens to be an adopted person. We allowed our conversation to go in all sorts of directions that definitely were thought-provoking, funny, interesting, and lighthearted for both of us. Oliver, it's so good to have this conversation with you. And, and let me just first say that meeting you at the NAAP 2021 in-person conference was just fantastic. I've seen you in virtual spaces throughout 2021. And just to be able to be with you in the flesh was just great. So I wanted to first say that. How are you doing today? Doing very well. Doing very well. It's a nice Friday and uh, getting ready for that long weekend. Yeah, I, I want to agree that it was great meeting you in person after seeing so many people in the virtual space and getting to know them, uh, you know, in that space and, and, and getting to know you through your podcasts. You know, it's great to actually meet in person. And, and I, I'm truthfully um, uh, amazed that you asked me to be a part of your podcast. And, and thank you so much for asking. Yeah, thank you for saying yes. I'm always thrilled when particularly male adoptees say, yeah, I'd be glad to, to be on there and have a conversation. So I appreciate that. Sure thing. Most definitely. Yeah. Uh, male adoptees, uh, as I've learned over the past, we're a smaller group, but we're just as passionate. And, and uh, I think it's even more important that we uh, speak our truth and uh, speak to the community at large uh, to make an understanding. And, and it's great to see media outlets, outlets like uh, the TV show, This Is Us, that truly approaches male adoptees and normalizing that 
that we have things that we have to deal with and things that we have to talk about. So. Right. Yeah, that was well said. I uh, I like This Is Us too, and I think they do a very good job tackling a big subject. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess we could just jump right in. And I know you're an LDA. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we can start wherever you want to start, however much you want to share about, okay. about your journey, yes. Sure. So I was born in Los Angeles, California, and relinquished there and adopted there. Uh, I was adopted by two Dutch-Indonesian parents that had immigrated to the United States. They weren't able to have children at the time, so I was adopted and grew up with them. And for 18 years, uh, I always thought that I was their uh, biological child. And it wasn't until I was 18 that they actually told me. But again, growing up in a Dutch Indonesian family, I'm actually Filipino. So I looked like a lot, a lot like them. I always thought that I looked a lot like my mother. So yeah, growing up with this adoptive family that loved me very much and, and never felt like an outsider. Well, I take that back. I didn't feel like an outsider within my family. And that's mostly because I grew up in a family of outsiders. Uh, we were all, if you will, strangers in a strange land. Mm. Uh, my parents, as I said, are Dutch Indonesian. Indonesia used to be called the Dutch East Indies, and it used to be a colony of the Netherlands. During World War II, they were occupied by the Japanese. Actually, the Indonesians welcomed the Japanese to occupy them because they promised uh, liberation from the Netherlands after the war. So my parents both were of Dutch-Indonesian mixed descent. And so after the occupation was over and the United States liberated, well, sorry, the Allied nations liberated uh, the Dutch East Indies, the Indonesian uh, population declared their own independence from the Netherlands. And in doing so, uh, they told the uh, mixed ethnic people that that they could choose to become Indonesian citizens or go back to the, the motherland. So, uh, mind you, uh, the Dutch East Indies, Indonesia, is a uh, tropical nation. And so they were asking for a large population to go back to one of the smallest countries in the world uh, in the northern part of Europe, uh, the motherland. Many people did uh, choose not to uh, become Indonesian citizens and return back to the motherland of, of the Netherlands. Of course, Netherlands at the time was coming out of World War II also. Uh, their infrastructure was, was decimated by the German occupation there. The Dutch Indonesians, uh, the Dutch, um, sorry, the Dutch East Indies were a major source of revenue for uh, the Netherlands. So uh, decimated by the Germans, lost a significant amount of revenue that supported their country. And suddenly you had uh, thousands of their own citizens being refugees in their own, in their home country. So it was interesting for them because, you know, they, they came home to a, a place that they'd never been to and were somewhat rejected by that society. You know, they, they, they were taught classes on how to use, uh, bathrooms, how to use silverware, how to eat properly, how to speak Dutch. And, and all these Dutch Indonesian citizens were like, wait, we're Dutch. We, un we know how to do all this stuff. So it was an 
interesting um, ethnic study, if you will. But, you know, they, they experienced rejection in a country that, that was reeling after the Second World War. So because the United States and, uh, and the Allied Nations uh, brokered the peace in Indonesia, they offered a relaxation of their immigration policies. And so a lot of uh, Dutch Indonesians, Indos, as uh, it's colloquially known, immigrated to the United States and to other nations like Australia and whatnot. Uh, but a large population of Indos moved to Southern California. Yeah, so that's how my parents got here to the United States. Uh, my my parents actually met on the boat coming over. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So they were, you know, twice removed, rejected from countries, not just people, but countries that did not want them. Mm -hmm. um, so rejection is, is <laughs> you know, a part of their uh, of their culture now, of the Indo culture. They're, they're people without a land. Um, mm -hmm. I appreciate that history sure. lesson, and I can see where that fits into how you were looking at the family. Because we were already not fitting in anywhere. Right. So, you know, we, we lived... My early years, up until about the age of seven, we lived out in California uh, amongst relatives, amongst other Indos that looked like me. But eventually, Dad got a uh, job in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, uh, the buckle of the Bible Belt there. That's a big change. <laughs> it is a big change. It is a big change. Uh, but, you know, as as an engineer, you go where the work is. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I would I call Greenville, South Carolina my home. You look back at all the pictures of, of me in the choir, and, and <laughs> I, I'm the dark one in the in the choir. It wasn't just the, the, the normal black and white racial tension or ethnic tension that, that is in the South, but, you know, I, I had the, that additional layer. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, you, you ain't from around here, are you? Right. And growing up, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, people would say, well, where are you from? And jokingly, you know, I would say... Well, my mother always told me I came from heaven. <laughs> so, you know, used humor to, to, to diffuse situations like that. But, but you learn to grow and, and you learn to adapt just as much, you know, as, as we as adoptees do. Mm -hmm. Now, you have a sibling, so, right? I do. I do. My sister, uh, she is my adoptive parent's biological daughter. Uh, she was born six years after uh, I came into the family. Mm -hmm. And again, we all, she and I grew up thinking that we were biologically related. And, and you never it, questioned it. You never, I never questioned it. Right. No. You know, I distinctly remember times talking to my mother about me as a baby. You know, what do you remember? Okay, I'm a space geek. And so, you know, uh, July 1969, that's when we landed on the moon. You know, I, I would ask my mom, did you do you have me when you were watching the moon landing and stuff like that? And, you know, we get the typical stories. Yeah. And, you know, thinking back, they were trying to provide a truth to help me at that age, whether that whether that's right or not. I, I you know, that's not for me to judge. But mm -hmm. but they, they you know, that's something that they kept from me that that they never. They never, you know, shared that with me. I, I don't have any pictures of me as a as a baby per se. Uh, they have me as as an infant, but I never questioned that. I, I never 
doubt of that. Mm-hmm. When they told you, when you learned of it, you were going off to the military, correct? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. I, I had finished up high school and didn't have the money to go to school, but the, the military offered me you know, some nice incentives to, to enlist. So I had enlisted into the United States Army, and, and uh, one afternoon, my parents sat me down and said, well, listen, you know, I'm 18 years old, and they said, listen, um, just want you to know that, you know, there was a time in which your mother and I could not have children, and so we we adopted you. Uh, we don't know much about your birth parents, about your birth mother. You know, as so many of us, uh, of us have heard from our parents that, you know, your mother did the best she could. She couldn't take care of you. And so, you know, she relinquished you to so that uh, you could join our family. You know, 18, <laughs> you're just starting to try to figure out who you are in the first place. Yeah. I'm picturing um, you're 18. Like, what do you do with that? When, yeah. When you're leaving home, like. So it was a lot of change, a lot of change. You know, I, I had never left home for long periods of time. And suddenly I was joining the military so uh and in the military military they they don't give you a lot of time to think about about uh <laughs> who you are they're they're defining they're they're helping to define who you right. are so yeah there were you know that that's it was interesting you know in the in processing you know they would ask me about my family history and i'm like well to be honest i don't know i don't have one Mm. I'm adopted. And, you know, that was one of the first times that I had to recon- start to reconcile with that. Right. Wow. And so, so I, I, I'm yeah. just thinking right now, not that there's ever a good time, I would think, past four years old. I'm just guessing because I've always known I was adopted. Um, but would you say that was a good time for them to tell you? Like <sighs> since they hadn't told you should they have waited? Like, what What are your thoughts about that? I don't know. I don't know if it, I, I don't know. It's never a good time, I right? I, Yeah, I, it's never a really great time. Yeah. I mean, it's the time that you, 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 you have to. Uh, I, I, I can say, you know, in talking with some LDAs, uh, late discovery adoptees, that 50 is not the time to find out. Right. <laughs> That's yeah, a that, hard time. Right. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm wondering, so was 18 good right before you leave out? I don't know. It just feels like. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And the thing is about my parents is that, you know, my mother, when my dad, my dad would work outside the house. My mother, she worked inside the house and she took care of kids all the time. She had an in-home daycare, if you will. And and I grew up with cousins coming in and out, so they were always very accepting and 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 treated everybody like family. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up, friends would come over; they would all be treated like family. So, you know, a sense of family was always present, whether whether where they were actual family or not. Right. But for me to what was the best time? I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I really don't know if that was the best time. But it's it's the narrative that I have, and right. that's what I have to work with. Maybe younger, I, I could have handled it, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of the uh, adoptive parent that might be listening, um, the impact of it as you're leaving home at 18. Certainly, it feels like that would have been a lot to give you at that time, 
Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it was. I mean, and reflecting back, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it might have helped with uh, the emotions and, and the reconciling that I'm dealing with now. You know, that was a time period in which uh, all parties involved were told that, you know, this is a one-time process and then you just forget about it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is your family now. How long would or you say... lack of family. Yeah. How long would you say it took you to, to unpack that? So you learned it at 18. Would you say it was three years or or are you still doing it? You know? Oh, no. I, I'm still unpacking. Right. But it really didn't hit me until I, I became a father. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I, it, it lingered out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back in the 80s and early 90s, there weren't many resources out there. There weren't things to talk about. Uh, there weren't groups to discuss. So it was just hanging out there and there's no information. So, you know, I, I, I kind of, that was kind of backseat to, to the military, to college, to getting married. Mm. But once I had a kid, once, once we, you know, I started to have family and, and you've mentioned this before in your podcast, once I actually saw someone who was genetically related to me, Wow. Yeah. You know, pretty powerful. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, I I was like, I don't know if I can ever not know where my daughter is. Mm -hmm. And and I don't understand that. I don't understand. That's when it really hit me that I don't understand the relinquishment process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And how do you move forward from that? And I'm still trying to reconcile that. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Yeah, and I've heard so, both parents that's, that's, say that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's when I that's when I really started going. You know, I need I need to know more. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the 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 birth during the the nineties, eighties, and nineties. That was the birth of the internet and searching and resources being actually online. So throughout the the many years, you know, I, I would poke around. Uh, eventually, you know, I. I talk it over a little bit with my birth parents whenever my, sorry, my adoptive parents. Mm -hmm. And they had, they don't have, they didn't have very much information. Eventually I was able to find the adoption record that they had in their files. And that actually had a, my uh, birth name on it. Mm. Uh, Anthony Martin. Mm. So. Wow. So they didn't have your birth certificate. Your original. No, no. I was born in California. Amended birth certificate. And closed birth certificate. It was a closed birth, uh, it was a closed adoption. Mm-hmm. So no information was out. And it was about uh, 15 years ago, I guess, uh, I submitted to the Los Angeles Department of Child Services, I believe that is, requesting um, non-identifying information. It was actually interesting. I was out there for a business trip. And, you know, I hadn't, and this is something that, that I'm, I'm working through you know i hadn't told my spouse i had said some things about you know possibly looking and poking around the internet but you know i as we all know it's it's non-adoptive people as we say don't just don't understand so i kind of kept that to myself and i happened to be out in los angeles for a business meeting and i thought you know i'm gonna go over i'm gonna fill out one of those forms to get uh, non-identifying information mm-hmm. and so i got that a few months later great source of information uh, told me that uh, my birth mother was Filipino, 
that she was in her 20s and that I had an older sister and just, you know, had some basic information talking about, you know, the circumstances, what they could of, of, of my birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all I had. So I had last name Martin. I had some non-identifying information. Eventually, uh, Ancestry came about. Ancestry.com, sorry. Wonderful resource. Uh, started poking around there. Yeah, so Ancestry.com, great resource. Uh, looking there, looking into... <laughs> I started look, I started doing all sorts of ser- searches, like uh, uh, going into immigration files, looking at the last name Martin, and it just, you know, there's a lot of empty holes there. But my mother-in-law, was very much into genealogy. She was working on her family tree, and, and one Christmas, uh, everybody got for a Christmas present the wonderful DNA kits. Those do make good so, gifts, I think. <laughs> they're good gifts, but you know, I think a greater discussion needs to be before you swab that cheek or spit in the tube. You know, I think a greater discussion needs to be about about thinking about the implications of it. Mm-hmm, it is now for me. Decision. You know, it was clear. Yeah, for me it was clear. You know, this is this is a great resource. You know, mm-hmm. I'm glad you, you some... shared that. Yeah, you're right. It's, it needs yeah. to be a conversation. It, it needs to be a conversation, mm-hmm. and, and 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 I truly admire those people that get the kit and go. I just don't know. I'm like, yeah, right. you're, you're weighing the cost. <laughs> yeah, you're weighing the cost. Mm-hmm. But for me, you know, I, heck, I was in the military. The military had my had my DNA already. You know, and I'm willing to share. And this is a this is a means to an end in which I can possibly find birth family. Right. And, you know, what's interesting, it's a conversation that even adoptees need to have because some don't know they're adoptees. And I'm thinking right. of two guests at the age, one at 50-something and the other one at 60-something. We're doing it just build finish building the tree or work on the tree having no clue that they were adopted and so yeah it's a big conversation period because you may learn something very different than what you thought right yeah right which is which is why i i co-facilitate a dna discovery support group right now for uh, adoption network cleveland but that's later on in the conversation so but yeah, I, it's a it's a big decision, and for me, it it's a big decision. But it was it was a means to an end for me to find out my truth. Yeah. So what did you learn? You get your results back. It, it, it's funny because we we did the test, and I think it was like a year and a half, and you know had some distant cousins and whatnot, and showed that you know uh, it, it's funny because everybody has these circles that have got all these pie shapes of what percentage is what and, and, and whatnot for, of your ethnicity. And mine was a just big solid dot. It said Filipino. <laughs> wow. That actually answered a question. It said, right. you know, well, my father's Filipino and my mother's Filipino. Right. So, you know, there's, there's no doubt on that. Mm. So my wife and I happened to be, this is uh, 2018. 2018 was a big year for me. April, I had a heart attack and, and recovered from that. And, oh, and, goodness. Yeah, uh, age of 49 and, and just, you know, genetics. Genetics oh, wow. is what, what I attribute a lot of that to. Uh, went on vacation, came back from vacation, and my mother-in-law was texting us and calling us and saying, you need, you need to get on Ancestry.com right now. Mm. And we're like, oh, okay, <laughs> whatever. So I logged in. I distinctly remember pulling it up. 
there was no distant cousin that would match me in any way to someone. There was my mother's name. Mm. Just right there. It said, you know, mother. Right. Biological wow. mother. And I don't I'm think, like, I think I've ever heard that before. Wow. Oh, yeah. I sat there for a minute. I sat there for an hour. Uh, I had to sit on it for a week, a month. Mm. I just, you know, was stunned. Right. You know, after all these years of, of, of doing these roundabout searches, internet searches, trying to find some scrap of evidence, suddenly there's this name. I immediately go on Google, start searching, and found her and was able to construct more information on who she is and where she is. And, and it's weird, the mirroring, as we've talked in our community, because, yeah, she started out in California, which is where I was born, but she's now living in Georgia, where I lived for five years, mm. in Atlanta, in the Atlanta, Georgia area for five years. And I'm like, what? How well, does you, that happen? You were there at the same time? I think there might have been maybe a year, maybe a year of overlap. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Atlanta's a big city. I'm not going to meet her. But it's just odd that, you know, she yeah. moved to the Atlanta area. I, I sat on that and I was like, okay. And I and I was, I, I was you know, kind of frozen on what do I do now? Well, what do I do? A, a friend of mine, she lives out in Oregon. And she was adopted. They have open birth records now. When they opened up their birth records, she immediately got hers, found her mother, found her family. They had actually, her mother and her uh, birth father actually eventually married and had more kids, uh, reunited with them, went through the honeymoon period, and now they don't talk. So there was a fear in me that, okay, I've got the name now. I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to suddenly jump into something that that is going to end up like my friend in which she's it's she, you know there's a secondary rejection there's a secondary distance between her and her birth mother so that's when my engineering brain took over i said okay well then i'm going to go to the library i'm going to check out every single book on uh, adoptee reunions and i'm going to find the formula i'm going to put it in my spreadsheet and know exactly <laughs> The best way to do a reunion right. Right, right. So I, I get my first book and I'm reading through it and I'm like, well, this is crap and throw that off to the side. And I go through another book and I'm like, every stinking story is different. Right. There's no right way. There isn't. There's no w- one way. Yeah. And so going through books, um, <laughs> I, I just I just did not know. Mm-hmm. And so I did I did some internet searching and found out, hey, there's an organization called Adoption Network Cleveland. And they actually have a meeting here in Dayton. So I I grabbed my books, I grabbed my notebook, and I and I went down to uh, the library where they were meeting and I met uh, Becky Drennan from Adoption Network Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And they were holding uh, a support group. And I walked in and I sat down and I listened for a moment. And then they turned to me and tell me, they said, tell me your story. And so I unloaded, <laughs> spilled it all out. And then I say, what the heck do I do now? I don't know what to do. I, I, I've tried looking at all the books to do it right, but I don't know what to do. And that's when I discovered the adoption community. Uh, this is uh, late 2018. 
and the support group that they are. Because I had, you know, had read all the misgivings about, you know, just jumping out there and just jumping in there and getting stuff done. My wife was clearly say, well, let's pick up the phone right now and call her right now. I'm like, I, I again, I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> right, right. Adoption Network Cleveland, a uh, great organization. Uh, Becky was uh, able to, one of the first things that she told me to, to read was uh, the book, uh, The Girls That Went Away. Mm-hmm. For me personally, it's it's a very important to understand perspective, yes. not just my own, right. but everybody's perspective. I agree, and that one truly deepened deepened my perspective of of the society, of of the time period, and of the culture of you know this '50s, '60s time period, early '70s time period. So that helped me to have a better understanding. Eventually, I crafted a letter to my birth mother, um, a very uh, I thought a very generic short letter. I sent that to her, heard nothing. I had reached out through Ancestry, their messaging service. I thought I saw that the person who owned the account read it, you know, and, and I was reasoning in my mind, okay, if I matched with her genetically on Ancestry.com, that meant that she took a DNA test. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I'm like, if they took a DNA test, they should know. Right, there may be that a match. They would match with yeah. someone. <laughs> that they would match with someone. Right. You know, now I have a little bit better understanding, but you know, I I thought, you know, okay, so she wants to know, so here I am and why won't she talk? Why won't she connect? So, I I went through one letter. I think I also sent a Christmas card possibly uh trying to get some sort of answer. And then 2019 I was poking around on Facebook and, and someone mentioned the Indianapolis Adoptees Network Conference in Indianapolis. And this was two weeks before the conference. And I turned and I called up uh, Becky and I said, so what's this conference? Is this something that I might be interested in? She said, oh, yeah, most definitely. You need to go. So I said, OK. And so March of uh, 2019, I went to the Indianapolis Conference in Indianapolis. And now the organization is now the National Association of Adoptees and Parents, NAP. Mm. And that was my first conference. And I was completely blown away and truly engulfed by the adoptee community. And to hear their stories and to hear their pain and to hear their joy and to hear all the emotions that I had been going through was eye-opening, emotional, just so many things going through my mind at that time. What would you say was the most helpful guidance you received when you first connected? The most helpful, uh, most helpful guidance is uh, to take a moment, to, to not rush in, to understand perspective. Yeah, that's what I would say. You mm-hmm. know, a, a lot of people would, as soon as they have a name, they'll rush in. I think uh, it was important to witness and to understand that work needed to be done on me first. Mm. A good question to ask yourself is, what are you going to get out of this? What, what is your intent in, in doing this? If you're going to rush over there, considering all the possibilities and, uh, and the realities of doing so. Mm-hmm. so at and some, weighing that cost. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you do make contact with your birth mother? I do not. Okay. I still have not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I still have not. But at this conference, you know, I, I got better tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, to help me craft better letters, if you will. But I also 
sat down with uh, Beth Sturey, who said we were talking about my DNA results, and she said, well, let me let me take a look at, you know, some of your other relatives in, in your family tree in your DNA results. And I said, oh, yeah, there's there's one that says that it's like a cousin, but I haven't really explored that. I was focused on, you know, making contact with my birth mother, and and I was trying to deal with the emotions of not hearing anything. You know, it's been six months since I, or yeah, six months since I tried reaching out. Mm-hmm. But Beth Sturies took a look at my uh, results and she said, oh, well, this one right here, that's not a cousin. That's a half brother. Mm. Which was, that just, that floored me. Mm-hmm. That just absolutely floored me because I, I had been so focused on finding my birth mother. Right. That suddenly I had a paternal match. Mm-hmm. Uh, my 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 half brother on my on my birth father's side, and I just had never considered, in any way, uh, being able to contact my birth father at this point in time. So this was a big find. So this brother, oh, yeah, humongous, humongous. <laughs> I had to take a week off. I took an, uh, another weekend off just to get away and contemplate that. And where do I go from here? Yeah. So uh, you know, found my birth uh, half brother. The rest of that day, I think I was on uh, on Google, Googling his name. In, in a sense, luckily, <laughs> his name come up, came up very easily and a lot of information because he, uh, he happened to uh, marry celebrity. So his mm. name was out there. And through his social media con- uh, contacts, I was able to track down my birth father. That's um, great. Yeah, and I knew it was my birth father. Again, we talk so much about mirroring in this community. I knew it was my birth father because I pulled up his page and there was a picture of him in in his Navy uniform. And it was like looking in a mirror. Mm. And I told you that I was a space geek. I'm also an airplane geek. And his web, his, his Facebook page was filled with pictures of airplanes. Isn't that something? So (laughs) that's great. And then (laughs) even more mirroring. This is weird. Okay. Filipino, me, Filipino man, him, a Filipino man. We're both into country Western dancing. <laughs> yeah, those synchronicities are something else. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, up until COVID, he was he was going out every night or uh, every week mm-hmm. to go country Western dance. I in in college and and when I was living in Atlanta, as I said, living in Atlanta, every Monday night I was at Miss Kitty's. Line dancing and two-stepping. So just eerie and just exciting and just wow. Yeah, that is really exciting. Did you get to meet him? I have not met him personally yet. Okay. So what I did is I reached out to him. Um, I looked at uh, different ways to try to possibly get in contact with him. Uh, did my research of who he is and where he's living and stuff like that. And eventually I, I, I reached out through Facebook messenger. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that Facebook is, is the bane of many people's existence, but me personally, Facebook has been a critical part of my connecting with people. And and I think that's the important, it's a tool that I use to connect with people Mm -hmm. in many different levels. Yeah. I reached out to him through Facebook and I said, you know, I gave the generic, Hey, I matched with your son through Ancestry DNA. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'm just trying to figure out my genealogy, you know. By then I had learned the, the, the 
inroads, the easier inroads to try to get people to talk. He came back with, no, thank you. I'm not interested. I sensed that he thought it might have been a scam or whatnot. And so I just laid it all out. I said, OK, listen, <laughs> I was born May 1st, 1969 to to this person. I've connected through Ancestry DNA and I think I may be your son. I know that's a lot. Take your time. <laughs> Do you want to contact me and talk about it more? Right. That's awesome. But I just want to lay that out to you. Because I know that, you know, people on the Internet can be uh, sketchy. Yeah. So that started uh, the, the conversation that started uh, going back and forth and, uh, and messaging through Facebook Messenger. And that's the main uh, way I've been communicating with him uh, ever since. I think I've gotten to know him a little bit better. He's uh, he's very much a solitary man. And he admits that uh, doesn't hold on to deep relationships or doesn't tend to develop deep relationships. But, you know, uh, he provided a lot of information and provided uh, a connection to some degree. You know, I, I travel out to California. I've offered to meet him a few times, but he's been reluctant. And, and uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the COVID has, has given, I'll say it, has given him an opportunity to say no. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and being, as I try to understand him, you know, it's... It's, you know, his way of not developing a deeper relationship that he doesn't want. Right. So has he seen a picture but, of you? Oh, yeah. I've sent pictures back and forth. Okay. And uh, and eventually, you know, I, I said to him, well, you know, we uh, my half brother happened to come up in conversation and, and I mentioned to him, I said, so would you mind if I reached out to Will? And he said, yeah, well, actually, let me let me contact him and. And then we, we can see what we can do. Mm-hmm. And a few days after we had that uh, Facebook conversation, um, my brother, Will, contacted me. Oh, wow. So your dad didn't, your birth dad did not wait long. That's good. No, no. Yeah. So my, my half-brother contacted me and he goes, I had no idea. His mother and, and my father and our father they married for a little bit, but then he left when Will was young. Will had a cursory relationship with him and still does. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, not a very deep relationship. But yeah, Will was like surprised mm. and wanted to get to know me. That's great. And so over the past two years, two years, goodness, yeah, we've gotten to know each other. First Facebook messages, then phone calls, then Zoom calls. He said, I tell you what, I'm going to introduce you to the cousins. He's uh, gotten along well with the cousins, and suddenly I was Zoom calling with the cousins. And then there was a Zoom call with the aunts and uncles and the cousins. Mm. And then earlier this year, I went out for a business trip, and I said, hey, I'm going to be out there for a business trip. Because last year, COVID just kind of curtailed any type of meetings. But uh, earlier this year, I said, I'm going to be out there. And my bro- brother flew in from Texas, and we spent two days together spent uh had a nice dinner with the cousins and then the aunts and uncles we had a nice dinner so you know going into the search looking for my birth mother and suddenly i have paternal family Mm -hmm. and And those relationships are growing yeah and i would say two years is pretty short like yeah like the lot has happened in two years oh yeah 
Yeah. And and while while I'm saying that, I'm going to say I have to have you back on if you can, um, you know, as things progress, because I just see a lot more happening. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, getting to know them last year throughout COVID, you start uh, reflecting even more. And so, uh, you know, I crafted another letter to my birth mother uh, as a, it's a Hail Mary letter. Because uh, I I didn't know whether she was actually receiving the mail or not, and I'm glad and you so, yeah I'm glad you said that because I've had a guest say that she wasn't getting a response, and it was because her birth father he was being cared for by what turned out to be her sibling, and the sibling just had a lot on her plate, so she's not going through all the mail. She's not. You know, it's getting right. there, but yes, she and so she finally took time out to go through everything, kind of get caught up, and then responded back. Yeah, like happened after a long period of time had gone by. It like happened real quick right after that. So yeah, you right. just don't know what's going on on the other end. And I, I, I will, I'll circle back to one point. Uh, once I actually established contact with my birth father uh, and made contact with him through Facebook. Uh, I remember that day distinctly because I was feeling cocky. <laughs> I said, yeah, I made contact with my birth father and it was an exciting time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got cocky and I picked up the phone and I dialed the number mm. and I was pretty sure that was her house. And a man a- answered it. And I said, this is Oliver Lambry. And I was wondering if I could speak with uh, Regina. The male voice said, uh, no, I know who you are. I'd rather you not call here anymore. Mm. Okay. So, you know, I, I was running with the narrative, again, part of the ghost kingdom that we have. You know, I start filling in the blanks. And, and it was to me, and the narrative was that her husband was protecting her, mm. uh, withholding letters or right. phone calls and whatnot. I don't know. I don't know. I was, right. I was operating in a vacuum. Mm. So, uh, again, last year I, I was crafting a letter, and I ran it by um, – Adopted, Adoption Network Cleveland's uh, search angel, um, Tracy Anders. Mm-hmm. Wonderful person, very knowledgeable, great resource at Adoption Network Cleveland, and yes. went through many iterations. She's helped so many people. Yes. Yeah, oh, sure goodness. Has. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. Finally crafted a, 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 if you will, a final letter to my birth mother, you know, uh, in it saying, you know, COVID's really helped me, has got me thinking. And, and I really would like, to develop something between us. And and in the letter, I also said, I just need you to know that later on this year, this is 2020, later on this year, I intend to contact my sisters. And I would love for you to be a part of that conversation. And so I left the letter at that. And after a few months, I didn't hear anything. Uh, I crafted an email and went through 15 drafts, 15, 20 30 drafts <laughs> again, going back and forth with, yeah. with Tracy Anders and then sat on the email and sat on the email and finally had uh, the gumption to actually uh, send it off. And I was prepared to wait weeks, months. It'd been a year since I had started trying to reach out to my birth mother. Mm-hmm. The very next day I got a response. Mm. The husband of of one of my sisters actually called me. Uh, He said, so we got this email and I wanted to talk to you about it. Again, there's, you know, a lot of people out there that think that 
unfortunately think the worst of people and and he was questioning my my intentions Mm -hmm. and uh i was able to sit with him talk with him for 30 40 minutes and convince him that you know this is this is a real thing and i'm not here to cause disruption i'm i'm here to find connection Mm -hmm. yeah that's all yeah yeah i know on my maternal side everybody knew the story and so it was easy because they knew the story. I wasn't like right. on my paternal side when that's not the case because my paternal side had no idea. And I remember, as I do right now, the difference in how I was received. You know, when people don't know the story or... No, they had no clue. Yeah. Then, then Neither they're sister suspicious. had any clue I existed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Neither sister had any clue I existed. Right. Right. And I'm in between two sisters. <laughs> mm. Wow. Yeah, I got a reaction almost immediately, but then it took a while for them to process and and to understand. I guess you could say my brother-in-law, he said, you know, I just don't understand why, why she would take a test. Mm. I'm like, I don't understand either, but she did. And the reality is that we matched and, and we're connected that way. She doesn't want to talk to me for some reason, whether it's her or whether it's her husband. Mm -hmm. I told them that I was going to reach out to you guys. Obviously, she she didn't prepare you in any way. Right, right. Well, I'm glad you had, were able to have that conversation with them. And I think sometimes time is, is just what a situation calls for, you know, just time doing what it does. Right. But as a major contributor to the adoption community, tell me about that. Tell me how rewarding that's been for you. Oh, it's been immensely rewarding. I mentioned earlier that I had uh, connected with Adoption Network Cleveland through Becky and through the personal meeting. Unfortunately, after that initial meeting with Becky and, and at the library, uh, she and her co-facilitator uh, decided to take some time away from that. And so suddenly I was stuck without, you know, an in-person community to talk about uh, adoption issues. And that is when I found Barbara Robertson and Dan on the virtual community adoption network cleveland i was exploring their reds uh, their website and i said oh wait they've got a virtual meeting and this was before all the other virtual meetings that started in in 20, 2020 right and so i connected with that community and they became uh, a vital part of of my journey mm-hmm. and getting to know them working with them talking a lot with with Adoption Network Cleveland and Tracy and whatnot, it came to a point in which, you know, I had involved myself, especially coming out of the conference in in 2019, that I was actually approached by Adoption Network Cleveland and said, okay, we don't have a in-person meeting in Dayton because the co-facilitators had had, uh, stepped away. We were wondering if you could head that up. I was honored. I was excited that, you know, we could have a local community. And actually, we, we were ready to start up here in the local area. I had found a place, and we were ready to start up in uh, March of 2020. And we were going to make a big announcement at the uh, Adoption Network Cleveland's conference uh, up in the Cleveland area. We were going to announce that March of uh, 2020. And we were all excited, and and COVID hit. <laughs> mm, yeah. So then uh, eventually we moved that meeting, the local meeting, into the virtual space. And actually they were asked me to, to consider uh, hosting one of the virtual meetings. 
And that has been very rewarding community and talking through things and talking with people that understand Mm -hmm. uh, is is healing to me. And also, I think, uh, is a great resources for people that are no matter where they are in their journey. Right. Uh, Adoption or Cleveland surrounds themselves with uh, birth parents, adoptive parents, siblings, not just adoptees. And and it's great conversation and great sources and spaces for us to safely talk and to try to understand and work through the issues that we have. So, you know, it's it's humbling to me that uh, I've been entrusted with with helping with this community. Uh, I, I certainly don't have all the answers, or I certainly don't feel I have, you know, any right answers, but I do what I can to help carry the conversation and to have the discussion and to work through those issues and for us to do the work on ourselves and uh, and to understand that, you know, as we approach those people who we've never met in, in ages and years, that they haven't done the work and that we need to have some grace and have to give some understanding that they may not want to do the work or to help them through working through issues. Right. That makes sense. It does. It really does. And you do a fantastic job facilitating the virtual meeting. Is that once a month? It's once a month. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, we we changed the focus of just a normal virtual meeting. We changed the focus of ours towards DNA discoveries. Mm. Uh, Just this year, we we are focused. Our meeting is specifically focused towards uh, those people who have gone through the DNA testing and found a surprise. Yeah. Whether it it be finding out that they they were adopted or whether they found out that it was misattributed parentage. Or it it holds it runs the whole gamut because DNA has totally changed the picture of of secrets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has changed the uh, definition of what we think is family. You know, as I said, these DNA tests have become novelties, and people don't truly think about the the, the enormity of what they're about to do. Yes, and and our group hopefully helps us to work through those issues and understand that not just trying to find out how Irish you are. Right. This, this, yeah. this has deep implications and, and, and family means so much to so many people. Right. For sure. I'm glad you all have that space. That That's definitely a need. Yeah. So in closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you would like to share? Yeah, I do want to share this. Um, You've mentioned uh, at the beginning of some of your podcasts that being an adoptee is part of your identity. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's a very important part that I truly stress within my life is that uh, I am I'm not just an, an adoptee. My identity is wrapped up in so many things. Right. Uh, I'm a man, man of faith. I'm a man of science. I'm a man of, of airplanes. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a husband. My faith defines so much of who I am. And this is just a small part of of who I am. And it's helping me to understand greater on how all those intermesh. I try not to focus on just any one part of of my identity. 
I, I try to develop all parts of my identity. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's important for us to recognize that we are not a single part of our lives, that we are uh, a summation of all the experiences and all the decisions and all the consequences of our lives, if that makes sense. Very good. I so agree. Thank you for saying that. So I, um, I just want to thank you again for taking the time out to have this conversation. And I just appreciate it so much. Well, again, I appreciate you asking me, and, and and it's always exciting to talk with you. As I said, you 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 bring a good, comforting voice to the community, and and uh, a better understanding of the community. As, as as I've talked about, no story is the same, and there's no set formula. And this is part of the discussion. Your your podcast is an important part of the discussion, so that we understand all aspects of of what people are going through. Oliver and I totally agree that being adopted is a mere part of our identity. He is a husband, father, man of faith, engineer, veteran, as well as an adult adoptee in search of the truth. I like how he gracefully approached reunion with birth family members and continues to respectfully make his presence known as an invitation for them to get to know him. I especially like knowing he facilitates a group with Adoption Network Cleveland where people can navigate the aftermaths of receiving DNA test results. We both immensely enjoy being connected to the adoption community where we have a chance to lean into healing for ourselves while simultaneously helping others to do the same. Thank you, Oliver, for having this conversation with me. I applaud male adoptees for sharing their perspectives and their presence is deeply appreciated in the community. Hearing your beautiful voice always makes me smile, and I believe its sincerity is genuinely felt by others when they hear it too. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community.